Blog Talk Radio. So don't you, will you 
This is Charles Collingsworth at the White House in Washington, D.C. For many of you, this will be your first visit to this historical landmark. Our tour through these hallowed halls will be conducted by the First Lady. What? 
kind of a fool would I have to be to say, come, my friend, to the white daughter and son? Good evening, America. This is your president. Please listen carefully to the announcement I'm about to make. After careful consideration and research, Vice President Duke, Congress, and myself have concluded that black people have not advanced technologically. Their educational testing scores are on a rapid decline. The vast majority of them are on welfare and producing babies at a faster rate than they can support them. And we will not carry them anymore. We are left with no other choice but to put slavery back into effect. All blacks will report to the designated camps in their area to receive further orders. The only blacks excused will be those serving in the United States military and the police. Any blacks who do not cooperate will be terminated immediately. I repeat, slavery is back in effect. We are at war! That's what I told you. I know you heard what the president said, and if the nigga don't move, then he's dead. It's time for us to take the stand. Woman to woman and man to man. Blood pressure through your veins, you feel the fear. Who'd have thought that it could happen here? In the land of the free, home of the brave. The year's 95, you're a slave.
liberals who have lifted them up, Howard. Paul, you conservatives make a mistake. You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard, you liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Paul, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. <laughs> that makes it even worse. No, no, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he's sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. That's no thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, he's become one of us. Uh, it's you liberals who have lifted them up, Howard. Paul, you conservatives make a mistake. You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard, you liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Oh, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. <laughs> that makes it even worse. No, no, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he's sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. That's no thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, he's become one of us. We welcome you to Africa on the Moon. As your host, Brother Africa, is always on and privilege to speak to the powerful and the powerless. We hope to share information with you today so that you can use it as a tool for liberation, to help liberate your people and to help liberate humanity from all of the various forms of oppression. We welcome you on December the 3rd, 2023, to another episode of Africa on the Moon. Today's theme is Haiti, Africa, and the global dynamic of race. We will discuss this topic and others today, and you can participate in these various discussions by joining us by dialing in at 323-679-5433. We have our political panelists today who will be in the seat. They will take the heat because they will define it and they will stand behind it. And like always, you know how we start our party on Africa on the Moon. We're going to introduce you first to our political panelists and analysts for today's program. At this point in time, we'd like to bring in Brother Haki, who is a representative and member of the African Awareness Association. And we will welcome him to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Brother Haki. Uh, Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name is Haki Tomasi Mashoki, 
Currently with African awareness, and of course, Brother Africa, you know my thing is all about institution buildings. But certainly in the context of building institutions in the community, one of certain realities we have to confront. I think one of the main realities we have to confront is that when we talk about capitalism, we have to begin to truly define what capitalism really is. Now, from my perspective, capitalism is the ideology of dishonesty and thuggery. And nowhere is that more evident than the misery that humanity is confronted with in addition, generally, and also the kind of uh, misery uh, that's inflicted upon the continent of Africa, which has a direct relationship to the function of capitalism. Now, having said that, Brother Africa, I want you to check this out, because I think this is sort of shining some light in terms of when I define capitalism as the ideology of thuggery and dishonesty, people get a, a better understanding of what, specifically what I'm talking about. Now, former uh, Nigerian President Obasanjo recently stated, quote, Western democracy has failed to function as a system of government in Africa because it was imposed by colonial powers, end quote. Equally important is the fact this alleged democratic system is undergirded by an economic system expressly created to exclude African states from the global economy. Impact of the Bretton Woods Conference mandates in 1944 are visible, and their devastating impact on African states' economics probable. Ostensibly, Western financial structures have been effective in destabilizing and marginalizing African economies. Chief among these destabilization processes have been multilateral financial institutions like the IMF, International Monetary Fund, and World Bank. The mission of these institutions is to ensure price stability of African economies is never achieved. Price stability is essential for two reasons. One, price stability makes economic planning more efficient by creating economic conditions for the use of monies potentially earned versus money potentially owed based on the strength of the economy. Secondly, price stability ensures investments will flow to the economy because an economy particularly functioning well is an economy particularly ensuring dividends for investors. Now, but what happens when price stability is not controlled by individual states but controlled by exterior actors who view individual states' economies as, as a colony to be exploited for personal economic gains? In the case of Africa, price stability is impossible given Africa's colonized status. As a result of Africa's colonized status, not only does Africa not have control of, of the commodity prices of its raw resources, which affects GDP, but in order to secure investment, it must do so at an interest rate among the highest in the world. In addition, problems of borrowing, borrowing relative high interest rates for African states is compounded by economic strategy using interest rate increases uh, executed by African central banks to prevent African economies from total default. By elevating interest rates, African states are able to strengthen their currencies against the strength of the dollar, thereby making African currencies more desirable. Even though higher interest rates slow business activity because of the co high cost of borrowing, the alternative is worse. If African central banks do not raise their interest rate, the debt owed in dollars will wipe out African states' foreign reserves, leaving Africa's economies without a means to pay its debt. Since the debt must be repaid in dollars, only Western currencies of GA countries, in particular U.S., U.K., France, EU, Japan, Canada, Italy, and Japan, are a process sufficient value to repay loans, assuming U.S. will accept payments in any other currency other than dollars. As far as oil purchases, only dollars, dollars are allowed, hence the term petrodollar. The bottom line is African central banks are compelled to accept high interest rates both internationally and domestically in an, economy, in an economic game that's rigged against African states. 
And the end result is the financial governance of economic affairs is out of the hands of African leaders and its institutions. Exacerbating this reality is an imperialist global order led by the U.S. that has erected a system of forced compliance among African states that must be adhered to or suffer significantly more economic devastation. Compliance by African states or coercion by market forces, the U.S. along with its Western dominions, uses the coercive power of the dollar as a reigning world reserve currency, as well as Federal Reserve bank requirements <coughs> established by Western foreign policy considerations in the maintenance of African subjugation. In regard to the dollar as reserve currency, this status is being eroded by China, Russia, BRIC nations trading in, domestic, in their domestic currencies. This trend is gaining acceptance throughout the world, but the SWIFT system of accounting for dollars continues to be impactful. In fact, 59% of all global reserves of money held in world, in world central banks are dollars. 70% of all trade is conducted in dollars, and 60% of all loans are in dollars. Unfortunately, resistance to the structural anomaly among most African leaders has yet to materialize, adding to the mystique of the dollar as all-powerful. More insidious, the power of Federal Reserve Bank's control over African central banks is a true testament to colonialism and the hardships Africans continue to endure if African leaders continue to escalate to, to an imperialist system that sees Africa as trivial. African central banks operating as a replica of the Federal Reserve Bank must employ monetary and fiscal policy in line with Federal Reserve economic policy. For example, if the Federal Reserve raises interest rates, so much African central banks. And the fact increasing interest rates by African central banks may hurt African economies is not important. All that is important is the maintenance of economic policy that negates Africa's economic growth while ensuring optical economic opportunities for wealthy Western investors who profit off Africa's economic instability, compelling African states to sell their assets much cheaper. The process of undermining Africa's economic economies is not just the ebb and flow of the market e economy, but structural. In the advent Federal Reserve Bank raises interest rates, and central banks do not, inevitably the results are the same. Failing to follow the Federal Reserve's interest rate increases, African economies find their currencies are devalued, increasing debt that must be repaid in dollars. With the African currency devaluation, assets owned by wealthy lose value, resulting in those individuals selling African assets for dollars, which has higher value, despite lacking raw resources to justify the greater value of the U.S. dollar. By virtually increasing the value of the dollar in times of economic stress imposed on Africa, African states find themselves caught between a rock and a hard place. Declining value of African currency means African states must use more of their currencies to purchase more dollars to pay dollar-denominated debt and pay for imports in dollars. The result is inflation is imported to Africa beyond African leaders or institutions' ability to control. Now, ironically, Federal Reserve rationale for African economic policy seeks to conceal its true motivation. Federal Reserve liquidity requirements for African central banks often conflict with the state of African economies. Liquidity requirements theoretically are used to ensure the economic soundness of financial institutions. In the case of Africa, monetary policy or the efficient flow or level of money flowing through the economy over the last decade has resulted in low inflation. Inflation, for example, in Sub-Saharan Africa declined 9.1% in 2004 from an average of 14.6% between 1997 and the year 2001. It's excess by any measure. Numbers reveal low inflation signals sufficient ratios between banks' assets and liability, providing a productive business environment. 
Despite examples of thriving business conditions among various African economies, Federal Reserve policy historically has been to demolish economic growth in Africa by imposing liquidity requirements even when not justified. In fact, liquidity requirements have grown exponentially in Africa, fueling both inflation and economic instability in Africa. The problem is obvious. Misenkis argues, quote, excess liquidity makes regulated money supply difficult and stabilizing the economy impossible, end quote. In other words, statutory requirements for states exhibiting high inflation rates in the Western world are exempt from liquidity requirements that slow the economy. In Alpha's case, implementation of liquidity requirements is not only ill-advised, but is implicated in undermining Africa's economies. As a result of implementing liquidity policy inappropriately and similar economic policies, the level of devastation is growing in Africa. According to the World Bank, extreme poverty in Africa will increase from 424 million people in 2019 to 463 million people in the year 2022 to 534 million in the year 2023. In conclusion, when President Tinubu of Nigeria vows to increase ECOWAS relationship with the West because Western democracy is the best form of governance, I am confounded by such a statement. The same Western democracy that structurally prevents Africa's participation in the global economy using deception and guile while leading, while leading foreign direct investments declines throughout Africa is not democratic at all. The principle, the principle of democracy is to provide the greatest good for the greatest number, not the greatest good for the few or the subjugation of the entire economy. This type of democracy in Africa and the global south generally, generally does not, cannot do this kind of democracy, certainly both the, both the global south and Africa could do without. And the continuation of this kind of policy uh, to the detriment of African states at some point has to be confronted and realized. And until we confront and realize the reality in terms of the structural limitations, in terms of capitalism on the African continent, African people will continue to suffer, and it's that simple. And with that, Brother Africa, I conclude. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we'll make our transition to Brother Anthony, who's an organizer for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Welcome to Africa on the Move, Brother Anthony. Thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism, which uh, is the solution uh, to the uh, to the problems that... Uh, Haki just, uh, Brother Haki just laid out very eloquently. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And from Brother Anthony, we will now go to Brother Moses, who is a member and organizer for the D.C. Metro Coalition in support of the Cuban Revolution. We welcome Brother Moses to Africa on the Move. Welcome. Brother Moses. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. Greetings to all the panelists, the illustrious panelists, and all the people who are listening, everyone under the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism 
Ever since I was introduced to Marxism, the father of scientific socialism, I was introduced to him during the government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. I bear witness that women hold up half the sky. So I'm for the Equal Rights Amendment, E-R-A, yes. And we don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I believe the struggle is to unite the many, defeat the few. There's only a few that's, that's subjugating the rest of the world to its, its economic and political dominance. And um, the interest of the world is, is to be looked out for by the world itself. We must organize ourselves to take control of our destiny. And this is the struggle. Um, I like, I like to say I'm after the hearts and minds of the people. Um, I'm after I'm after uh, people who love Jesus, basically, uh, who who found who can find in their heart the place for heaven. Uh, and uh, I believe Jesus is the answer for the world today. That basically from Palestine, anti-Zionism, all the way to to capitalism, what profits a man who is to gain the world and lose his soul. And so I think, I think you know, we have to struggle and show ourselves approved as we rightly divide the word of truth. And the struggle is to unite the many, defeat the few. There's only a few that control this system. And so we need free education. We need free health care sponsored by the government. And this is the struggle. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. From Brother Moses, we'll go to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, welcome to Africa on the Move. Thank you, Brother Africa. Thank you so much for having me, and good evening to our listening audience in the United States and abroad. Also to my fellow panelists and to you, Brother Africa. Um, I am a member of the coalition in support of the Cuban Revolution and a uh, human rights activist, artist, and educator. I find Africa on the move the most progressive um, show, and I learned so much from the panelists, from Brother Aki, Brother Anthony, from you, Brother Africa, uh, Brother Moses. And every speaker, I tell you, it's a phenomenon to be able to get a refreshing worldview that is not filled with propaganda and uh, uh, mind control language. You see that with the uh, Holocaust being committed against the Palestinians when the Israelis are released, they are children, they are infants, they're four-year-old uh, pre-K students, they're nursery students, they're this and that. The Palestinians are not even referred to in the, those terms, not the children, not the women, nothing. Language plays, plays a great role in the advancement of fascism. 
we must fight fascism. Imperialism is a is a problem, but fascism is a bigger problem, and it's on the rise globally. Thank you again for allowing me to participate in this evening's forum. Good evening, everyone. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. At this point in time, we're going to take a rubbish culture break. We're going to play some music or inspiration. And when we come back, we're going to have our political panelists and analysts, as well as we invite you, the listening audience, to join us as we discuss what's going on in your world and the community. On Global Africa, and this is Africa on the Move. Like a rock 
That's right. Africa wants to be free, and it will be free. The only question that you must answer is, what contribution will you make towards Africa freedom and its people? Welcome back to Africa on the Moon. I'm your host, Brother Africa. We may not give you what you want, but we're going to do our best to give you what we need. So at this point in time, we invite you to call in at 323-679-0841 if you want to share with us what's going on in your world and the community. Before we bring in our political panelists and analysts, I'd like to give you just a couple of historical facts on on this particular date, on the 3rd of December. That was the first issue of the North Star newspaper published by Frederick Douglass in 1847, and Gwendolyn Brooks, she was an African poet. She made a transition in the year 2000. So we'll get some little historical notes concerning your history as a people, and at this point in time, what we're going to do is we're going to a segment, what's going on in your world and the community? Again, I'd like to invite you to call in and share what's going on in your world. Add down to 323-679-0841, hit 1, and we will acknowledge you there for numbers. So that's where I got transitioned this point in time to our political panelists and analysts for today's program. Right now, we'll bring in Brother Haki. What's going on in your world and the community? Well, Brother, well, brother Africa, <clears throat> I have to give uh, much respect and much love to uh, brothers and sisters out in Nigeria, you know, who are persistent in their fight against Shell, you know, uh, oil company in its uh, in its abuses. Uh, even though uh, there's not a great deal of support in the Nigerian government for these for these activists, nonetheless they're taking a noble stand in terms of confronting one of the most powerful institutions on the planet, in terms of forcing it to make some type of amends in terms of its policies historically. That have, been, that have not only been criminal, but very, very destructive to the aspirations and, uh, the, and the material possessions of the people in Nigeria. And as an article I recent, recently read, and it states about more than 13,000 people in Ogala and Bilye region of Nigeria can sue Shell Company of UK for infringement of Nigerians' constitutional rights to a clean environment. The case has been ongoing for eight years, with, high court, with the High Court in the UK stipulating these claims would not be denied based on statute of limitations. Now, years prior, Shell was able to use legal status statutes in the U.K. stating any legal claims must be done within a specific period of time. Since 1990, Shell has maintained the uh, destruction of agriculture and, and village livelihoods from oil spills. <laughs> they have always maintained that these, 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 these contamination of, of the land result of people in the community actually being responsible uh, for th- in, engaging in theft as resulted in the oil spills that contaminated the lands and the waters. Shell, now when the question was inevitably asked, Shell was unable to account for why residents would engage in criminal activities on a scale large, large enough to destroy 17 schools and churches. Now Shell, which has an influence history of human rights abuses going back 20 years, has faced allegations of arrest, detention, execution in Nigeria of nine activists, including Ken Sarawiwa. Shell is on record telling Nigerian military officials Sarawiwa and the Mossad movement must be stopped. 
MOSOP stands for the Movement for the Survival of the Ogoni People. Now, thanks to the persistence of Sister Esther Kilbell, ex-wife of Burnham Kilbell, of the Ogoni Nine, the case was heard in Finland in 2010. Even though she lost the civil case against Shell, the complicity between Shell and Nigerian officials were revealed, making similar criminal activity more difficult for Shell to hide in the future, thus ensuring activists will not be hung for partaking in constitutional protected rights in, 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 in countries throughout the world. So clearly, again, Brother Africa, we have to get much kudos, much, uh, much love and respect for the brothers and sisters against great odds of standing up for that which is right, that which is just. Uh, certainly, their example is an inspiration to people around the world in terms of their fight against very powerful institutions, you know, as they run roughshod over the rights and interests of humanity. Uh, so clearly, once again, Brother Africa, must kudos, must love to the brothers and sisters, all 13,000 of them in those regions in Nigeria who are fighting for that which is right. And I'll conclude. Thank you, Brother Hockey. Next, we go to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world and the community? Yes. Uh, Africans uh, around the world are starting to uh, are starting to, to make the connection between the the struggles against settler colonialism. Um, uh, sparked largely by uh, the Palestinian struggle against Zionism, and uh, people are st- uh, Africans are starting to make connections between the struggle of the Palestinians against Zionism and uh, the struggle of Africans against uh, uh, racism and capitalism in the U.S and also against, um, uh, you know, not, not only in Zania, South Africa, but also between uh, settler colonialism uh, in Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and, uh, and uh, all the settler colonies around the world. People are start uh, Africans are starting to connect those struggles, and um, as Kwame Ture predicted, uh, the consciousness of uh, of Africans is growing, which is a good sign for the struggle for Pan Africanism, uh, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And from Brother Anthony, we will, we will now go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world and the community? Well, we see that, as usual, I, I keep repeating the main trend in the world today is countries want their liberation. Countries want their independence. Nations want their liberation, and the people want revolution. We see the third world is uniting uh as as Chairman Mao pointed out, the the definition of the three worlds and the superpowers at that time, and the, the second world being the developed countries in Europe, and the third world being Asia, Africa, Latin America, and the people of color, and so we see people are uniting and uh, and overcoming this little economic crisis that's been created by the handful of imperialist nations trying to maintain their hegemony and and their lifestyles. 
And um, so we we see that the world is uniting, and uh, and it's a matter of the uh, Kino Vasa. Uh, um, Burkina Faso. Burkina Faso. I'm sorry, you're right. Um, everybody's everybody's taking control of their destiny, you know, and and seeing, trying to get control of their resources, their their political economy, trying to educate their people because ultimately the educated people is the solution to the problem because uh, a, a vigilant and armed people who are, who understand the problem who've been armed with with the information that's necessary to to solve the problem won't be victims of the problem continuously. Um repetition is a is a is a mother of invention and people are learning from from uh, the repetitive and uh regimental um and almost scientific exploitation of their their resources um they're learning that um they can they can that the finite and the problems of the earth are finite and we can solve the problems of the earth if we unite and uh focus our attention on the problems so um i think you know like um the i'll just leave it right there thank you Thank you, Brother Moses. And from Brother Moses, we'll go to our sister, Sister Eleanor. What's going on in your world and the community? Yes, it's been a a horrific week. Um, Demonstrations continue uh, to go on around the world in support of the Palestinian people and against, most importantly, the genocide that Israel is committing against the Palestinian people. More than 15,000 people have died, and this is an outrage. Of course, demonstrations in in Asia, in the Caribbean. uh, I recently saw a video of Barbados and the demonstration uh, in the uh, capital of Barbados. Now, Brother Moses mentioned uh, Burkino Faso. Burkino means dignity. Faso means land of ancestors. And it, it, it means, in short, upright people's land, Burkino Faso. Uh, Thomas uh, Sankura, uh, in 1984 at the Harriet Tubman School in Harlem, said, my White House is in Black Harlem. That's just a little comment that uh, uh, I uh, would like like to make. But I love the definition of Burkino is dignity and Faso, land of ancestors. And when translated literally, is the upright people's land. That's uh, it. People, of course, uh, uh, continuing to struggle with poor housing, um, food. Um, the United States of America is redefining the urban landscape with these food deserts throughout its urban areas. It's another attack on Africans 
and uh, the poor throughout the United States of African Americans, I often say, but as we, and I have learned through this broadcast, no matter where you're born, who you are, if you're a black man, you're an African. So this attack on African Americans has been a a burning topic. Uh, Here in the District of Columbia, Mayor Muriel Bowser set up a criminal uh, new set of uh, criminal bills uh, uh, to criminalize poverty further. There's a problem with uh, crime in the district, and it really is involving youth. Where they get their guns, we're not tracking that. But what is happening, they don't have cell phones, so they steal them or they take them. They don't have automobiles, so they borrow them, often called hijackers. They don't have proper schools with decent books, but they're a part of a public school system. Charter schools are robbing the public school system blind because there's no standard curriculum or standard of education. I've run into parents recently, children to attend university. They're not prepared. They can't pass the SATs because they were busy sitting in charter schools. But I look forward to listening to this evening's show, and thank you once again for having me, Brother Africa, and to all our listeners and panelists, keep the struggle. We, We hold each other in our hearts and minds, and liberation is our goal. And as Brother Anthony and Brother Aki frequently say organization is the way to liberation. Thank you. You know, panelists, thank you, Sister Eleanor. Panelists, before we go into our next segment, uh, we just like to just get y'all to respond to this possibility. Recently I read an article and looking at some of the events uh, taking place in Africa, in this case was in Mali, and it has been reported that they have found documents where the U.S. government will probably plan to undermine the current leadership. Aim after being exposed to that to that reality, the U.S. came back with a, with a statement that they have no plan in regardless of going anywhere. anywhere. So what, should, what, should, what do you make of that attitude, and what do you make of the reality? Oh, you know, you have these military uh, entities of the U.S. all over the continent. And the question is, again, why are they there? Your response to that scenario in Somali, Brother Aki, they found out they were trying to, they're going to, they were trying to plot and undermine the present um, uh, military junction that, that, that is in power, uh, the progressive forces. Um, how, should you, how would you respond? First and foremost, I mean, let's be very, very clear. The U.S. is not there on the continent of Africa because they give a damn about African people or their livelihoods or, or, or even their existence for that matter. They're there for geopolitical reasons. In other words, they're there to preserve the interests uh, to the United States and Western nations generally. In that regard, so when, when, when African leaders strategically made the error of allowing African states under the guise of authorization of use, use of military force into the African continent, they made a huge mistake. 
uh, by allowing uh, American troops into under Africa, you essentially what you essentially did was to not only legitimize their presence but create the conditions in which it's almost damn near impossible to get them out without actually fighting. And this is this is this is this is this is this is this is, this is, this is one of the major problems in terms of when, they, when, when you know when the U.S. says says to the world loud and proudly, "We're not going anywhere." No, they literally mean that. That's not hyperbole. They really believe they're not. They're, they're, we're not going anywhere. And if we have to, we have to destroy. We have to destroy seventy percent of the African population in order to be here. Then that's what's going to happen. I think African leaders got to take themselves very, very seriously. Very, very seriously. Uh, you know, one of the things is that you know, uh, when when you talk about in terms of you know of uh, the, the the French, you know, uh, you know, you know, uh, getting getting the French out of Africa, that was good. I mean, that was strategic. That's a very sound move. But the but the error that they made was that in addition to you know while getting rid of the French, they failed to negate getting rid of all Western powers, be they America or other ones or other Western nations out of Africa, because the bottom line is that if they're there and they're not there in, the, in your best interest, then the question becomes: so then why would you justify them being in there in the first place? Uh, U.S. stated goals were very clear. Their their interest is geopolitical. It has nothing to do in terms of interests of Africa. As a matter of fact. When we talk about the economic declines of, of American society, the West generally, and we talk about the unemployment that is sweeping the West, we talk about high interest rates that sweeping the West. When we talk about uh, 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 current, you know, the, the, the value of the dollar decline, all of those are systematic of a system in decline. And because the system is in decline, it means there's a great amount of desperation that exists among uh, leaders in the Western world, particularly in the United States. African leaders have to fundamentally understand that, and, and, and understand there, there is no there, there is there is there is no getting around, you know, when as this as this as this wicked system declines, the level of persecution or the level of prosecution or the level of oppression is going to escalate. It's not going to decrease, it's going to escalate. So when we talk about atrocities historically that have been inflicted upon Africa, then certainly we can in, in, we can concur I mean not concur, we certainly can anticipate that those atrocities are going to escalate big time and Africans are going to be the recipient of that escalation. So clearly, Brother Africa, you're absolutely correct. I mean, the bottom line is that they're there. They acknowledge they're there to stay. And listen, when 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 the thug tell you something, believe what that thug is telling you. Don't take it for granted. And I close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Anthony, your response to this narrative? Yes. Uh, uh, let's see. Imperialism is intensifying its presence in Africa. And uh, and the reason uh, the U.S. is in Africa is for political dom- uh, and economic domination, and uh, and only uh, uh, only political unification can uh, uh, can resolve this problem. Africa has to unify, and. Uh, and uh, people have to get better organized than they are uh, now. And uh, let's see, Pan-Africanism is the is the key to the problems of um, imp- uh, of uh, imp- oppression by imperialist countries. And uh, the only way to get rid of imperialism is through pan-Africanism. And, uh, and, and uh, that is the 
Ordinary solution to the problems facing Africans at home and in the diaspora. Thank you, Brother Anthony, Brother Moses. They just don't care about us. They don't have good intentions for our brothers and sisters in Mali. What should we do? Brother Moses, no response. The people united will never be defeated. So we need to raise the political consciousness of the people to make them aware of the problem and conscious of the problem and demand power can seize nothing without a demand. The people have to demand that they leave their territory. And so it takes organization and demonstrations and manifestations of the people's will. Um, And so... You know, this, this this struggle has to be one of political consciousness raising of arming the people with the education they need in order to, to resist the evil that that is being perpetuated by this satanic, capitalist, imperialist system. And this Israeli-U.S. war machine continues to dominate the world, and we have to understand, we have to educate people to that. That to that and arm the people. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses, and to our sister Eleanor. Your thoughts, sister Eleanor. And what was the question about America, the United States, and Africa? The question is: In Mali, they found documents where the U.S. government, the U.S. Army, were plotting to undermine their sovereignty. How should you deal with that reality? Well, that is the reality of, of the United States and Africa. Of the 60-some coups in Africa during the last latter 20th century and the early 21st century, there, there seems to be Western involvement, importantly to mention U.S. involvement. Now, the U.S. has NATO sites in Africa with drone operations with the intent of monitoring the Middle East as well as Africa and other of its alleged interests. But uh, the U.S. has proved itself not to be a friend of Africa. It does not focus on um, look at the children of Ghana. Five-year-old children in Ghana work on their parents' cocoa farms while we eat Snickers bars and Mars bars like it's nothing. And in effect, we're allowing for child labor practices in Ghana. It's a $34 million industry they're the largest chocolate operation in the world, and yet they child labor practices in Africa. And the U.S. doesn't stand up to stop this. It stands up to shield it. So we really have to begin to educate ourselves and see where the money flows and understand why we are military state and understand why we forced the development of the last military settler colony, Israel, 
And as we and the world wake up and realize what's going on, Africa and the organized what's happening. Now the goal is to organize and restructure the African Union, which I believe was established in 2002, to support the interests of African people and the resources of Africa. How can a land so rich and a people so vibrant suffer in abject poverty? Is through brainwashing and through economic exploitation and subversive action that this is perpetuated. I Thank don't know if I answered your question. Thank you, Sister Norton. You're listening to Africa on the Move. It's a first part, two-part series, Haiti, Africa, and the Global Dynamics of Race. What we're going to do is we're going to go into a new segment that we added to our program from time to, from time, to time. This segment is called Learning from Our Past. We're going to play a, a footage, an archive piece from YouTube where Brother Kwame Ture was speaking, basically speaking to the world. And looking at what's going on now, um, we try to raise our consciousness on many issues. And some of the issues that he raised on this particular um, audio recording, we'd like to come back and discuss it. So we're going to play a little bit of this footage uh, from Brother Kwame Ture in 95, and please uh, tune in and Let's sharpen our ears and let's come back and have some discussion as it relates to our current realities. So this is from the Kwame Terrain in 1995. Whether the Democratic Party and electoral politics cannot solve our problems, at least until we are organized. So even if we were inside the Democratic Party, our functioning uh, stalwarts in that party have a responsibility to at least organize the masses of our people. Because you cannot tell me that Kennedy and a sharecropper from Mississippi are in the same party with the same power because they got one vote each. That makes no sense at all. Um, I'm reminded that I should probably mention names when I, when I say things like former colleagues. I'm talking about people like John Lewis, who was also a former chairman of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, is now a member of Congress from the state of Georgia, talking about John Wilson, who is the chairman of the District of Columbia City Council, another organizer for SNCC. Do you still maintain contact with your colleagues? Do you ever get a chance to see them? Uh, once in a while, if uh, Pat scores, but uh, I'm still doing the same thing they used to do. <laughs> and I'm better at it. <laughs> but you are known to not make your political differences personal. When you, when you run into to, to old friends, many of whom have chosen electoral politics, a few have chosen, like H. Rab Brown, religion mm -hmm. as the major vehicle for expressing their consciousness, you still have cordial relations. Of course, you know, uh, there's no need to be antagonistic. Uh, me, I never get mad unless I'm about to kill, and I don't get mad at anyone except someone who's truly exploiting my people, and for them, there's no, no problem here. Let's go back to the telephone. Call with you. You're on the air. Go ahead, please. Good evening, Kojo and Kwame Toure. Uh, during the Persian Gulf War, why has the news media conveniently overlooked the fact that one million Palestinians are under house arrest in the occupied territories in Israel? Well, obviously some media isn't overlooking it. Everybody who's watching this just heard it. So <laughs> <laughs> the uh, press in America, of course, is controlled by uh, Zionism. That's clear. And uh, this book, uh, this is not a statement I make. There's a book by a Jewish man. 
and uh, let me I think of the title of the book as we go along and he's written the book he's anti-Zionist because there are Jews who are anti-Zionist and for the man who called before and said he couldn't understand I would suggest that he read uh, Lenny Brenner's book uh, any of Lenny Brenner's book who is a Jew who is anti-Zionist and uh, this man who is I think uh, is it one on the show when my name is the name just gone from Lenny Brenner I'm sorry okay Lenny, Lenny Brenner. Brenner okay and uh, the, the other book I will think about as we go along I'll give it to him but okay. uh, the reason why is because uh, the Zionists controls the press they control the press and they uh, don't let any information out that what they consider will make the people sympathetic to the cause of the Palestinians Saddam Hussein has called for linkage to his withdrawal from Kuwait to a Israeli withdrawal from the occupied territories do you think that is valid he's absolutely correct this again is another hypocrisy of America. Here they, they are next to the land, they are occupying the land, and you talk that you're coming against annexation and you leave them there? Why? You know, George Bush, he talks like he's bad, like he's a CIA agent, but he's afraid of Israel. When they say jump, he says, how high? <laughs> <laughs> you have mentioned that the United States in this war is on the wrong side. You have said they should have let Saddam Hussein keep Kuwait. But you must know that the American people have been hearing all kinds of things about Saddam Hussein, including the chemical warfare used against the Kurdish people in Iraq at the time when it is felt that Saddam Hussein should not be associated with the cause of righteousness. How do you feel about that? America cannot be the judge of moral righteousness for anybody. Uh, don't you know the French have something they call discussion that's a, a discussion that, that has no sense at all if you're not careful they will bring problems to you which are not yours for you be discussing these problems that have no relevance at all America cannot be moral judge of anyone so anytime America speaks of morality why pay attention it's like if a thief is coming to give you lessons on how not to thief <laughs> <laughs> let's go to the telephone caller it's your turn you're on the air go ahead please uh, I honor you Kwame uh, Ture there's a question I would like to ask I don't know if you could show some light on it I understand that a few presidents now, uh, including Ben Casey, has and also Mr. Bush, has got a bank set up in Panama and are still sending all of the materials to South Africa that is supposed to be cut off at the moment. Could you throw some light on that, if you're familiar with it? That they're violating the sanctions. I'm sorry I'm not uh, familiar with these facts, but uh, that's nothing new. I mean, I, I, there's nothing that America can do in relationship to holding up racist and dictatorial regimes throughout the world that should surprise anyone. Not, nothing at all, especially when it comes to a Zania South Africa. First, America is racist. She's capitalist. A racist capitalist system will do everything possible to maintain the predominance of a racist settler colonial system. You mentioned that this money that is being used to assist Israel should be brought back home and used to assist the homeless. When you left this country more than 20 years ago to reside in West Africa. The homeless population of this country was minuscule compared to what it is today. Is that something that strikes you every time you step off a plane in Miami, New York, or whenever you return to this country, the vast difference in that situation? There's no question. Anyone who spends any time out of America, any time you come back, you can see the rapid decline. You know, it's just a scientific phenomenon that as the body rolls down, what it picks up mass and volume and momentum and speed, etc., etc., so that there's no question you can see the decline coming more and more. I have always been against American imperialism. As a matter of fact, when people ask me my position on the war in the Gulf, I tell them that if I were the Imam of Mecca and American imperialism was fighting the devil, as Africa is my mother, I would be Satan's comrade in arms. Anywhere America is, I'm against it. But if you would have told me in the 1960s that America would decline to the position that she is now, I myself would not have believed it. 
So it's this declination, this decline, which makes it clear America's on the way down, she can be destroyed, and she will be destroyed. A recent survey conducted by the University of Chicago found that in spite of the fact that we mentioned earlier that blacks have died disproportionately in armed service to this country, that a majority of white Americans believe that blacks are less patriotic than they are. They cannot believe that. Nobody loves America like these stupid Africans. <laughs> they cannot believe that. Come on. They say that. And they, I think they're talking on. They can't believe that. My, my brother, if you go out there and even try and tell them to go to the war, they want to fight you. Nobody loves America like these Africans here. They say, well, we ain't got no other home. What's Africa? I ain't got nothing to do with Africa. I don't know. All they know is America. All they know is America. They've let America just tie them in. Why? They love everything about America. Well, this white man, so he knows better. However, they are often critical of America's domestic policies. They're critical of the impoverishment and unemployment they see in the black community. And it is my own belief that many whites interpret that as somehow being unpatriotic. It's not the kind of love it or leave it kind of, of rhetoric that they would expect to, coming, to be coming from people who are patriotic. How do you mesh this criticism of America's internal policies with what you describe as an enthusiasm for America, especially in its external adventures. This is the contradiction that we face as a people, that we love America more than any other people in America, and we are more abused by America than any other people in America. This is the contradiction, and this contradiction has been coming more and more. In the Vietnam War, some of it came out, but in this war, all of it will come out. And this is a war without, this war is going to be no hands drawn, you know. Bush is going to do everything as head of the CIA. He will even plant explosives throughout the country and say that terrorists are doing it to scare the people and make them go into the job. You know, that's an old Zionist trick, and you know, at least he can learn from most of if he can. You think it's going to be a long war? Well, one thing is clear. With the sand going on and the storm coming up and the hot pressure getting hot, this war is going to be a long war. And Saddam Hussein said he prepared for a long war. America prepared for a short war, but he prepared for a long war. Let's go back to the telephone. Caller, it's your turn. You're on the air. Go ahead, please. Good evening, Mr. Kwame Ture. Uh, I have two brief, brief questions. Um, do you believe that Malcolm X was right in saying that we should live apart from the white man? And could you shed some light on... I don't, I don't celebrate the 4th of July, okay? Could you shed some light on that situation? Because I have a friend, and I'm trying to explain it to you, but your eyes can see further than mine. And could you please help me out? All right, let me take your last question first. On the 4th of July, my brother... I would suggest that you go and get a speech by Frederick Douglass, which he made on the 4th of July. And uh, just read that speech, let your brother, because it won't be me, it'll be Frederick Douglass, you know, and he not like me, you know, he was good, <laughs> he wanted to be a bastard of America. <laughs> I could never do that, <laughs> you know. So he's a good, you let him read that speech by uh, Frederick Douglass on what the 4th of July means to the uh, Africans in America. And then uh, your first question, which was, um, is that how you forget. do it? I Malcolm X. Malcolm, Malcolm X, X yes. Um, yes, Ma you must be careful now. You know, Malcolm X was very, very, very sharp. Malcolm was very sharp. I remember that uh, a policeman had killed someone in New York uh, when Malcolm was head to just form the uh, Organization of African American Unity. And uh, when he just formed this organization, his leaflet, his uh, people began to leaflet, and they put out that a policeman had murdered someone. And Malcolm, they called Malcolm in uh, Africa and told Malcolm. Malcolm said, no, take out the word uh, murdered. It's a legal term. Put the word killed. <laughs> and Malcolm, they put the word killed. The NAACP and the College Racial Club, he kept the word murder in. And when the cop got off, he sued SNCC, uh, sued CORE, and he sued the NAACP, but couldn't sue Malcolm. So Malcolm was very, very, very intelligent. And uh, Malcolm used to say that, uh, they say I'm a separatist. He said, but uh, I'm not a separatist. He said, it depends upon how you use words. He said, for example, America separated from Britain. 
1776. They didn't call it an act of separation. They called it an act of independence. He said, so among all I'm calling for is independence of Africans all over the world. Malcolm is correct. We must have our independence where we depend upon no one but ourselves. You are saying it is not important whom we live next door to, but what we control. That's all. And when we control what we control, be no problem. We always say all the time, racism is not an attitude. It's a question of power. If a white man wants to lynch me, that's his problem. If he has power to lynch me, that's my problem. Indeed, that is a discussion that has been going on a lot recently. Congressman Gus Savage has said that it is impossible, in his view, for a black man to be a racist. No power. And he, he never explained it. Maybe you can. There's no power. There's no power. To be a racist, you must have power. That's why I laugh at them. You can have prejudice, but if it has no power involved, then you can't be a racist. How can you be? I said the white man, he can want to lynch me. If he can't lynch me, he can do whatever he wants to do. But if he has the power to lynch me, that's my problem. Go back to the telephone. Call it's your turn. You're on the air. Go ahead, please. Yeah, how you doing? Pretty good. Yeah, I like to uh, make a, I, I got two statements I like to make. First make of all, the brother that, 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 uh, that's next to you, he's very intelligent. He's very sharp. Okay, the first statement I would like to say is that the Bush administration, okay, when it comes to negotiations with... Um, Saddam Hussein over the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, it seems like there's no room for it. I mean, he won't even meet them halfway. So I'm trying to figure out why not, you know, because um, the Palestinians, that was their land long before we all know. Okay. The, uh, those are European Jews that, not, that are not really Jews anyway. Okay, and what's your other they, statement? Huh? You said you had another statement? Yeah, okay, the other statement was um, you got a lot of black men and women over in the Persian Gulf that's willing to, to lay their life down, <clears throat> down for this country. But yet, a few months ago, uh, Bush vetoed the Civil Rights Bill. Now, only thing I'm saying is going to sound kind of crazy, but this is my philosophy because I'm kind of like a militant, and I want to hear the brothers comment on this. Okay, if they all just say, hey, we're not fighting, and say the hell with it, that will give the Bush administration and let them see how serious we are because this is a slap in the face to us. I mean, these guys are ready to lay down their life and die for this shit, this stinking country. Yet he's going to veto the civil rights bill, and then just recently he turned around and... Okay, uh, got you. We, got, we, we, we understand your sentiment fairly accurately. Is uh, Claire, my brother, again, the error they're being made is that they think that we're stupid and we don't remember anything. So they think that we're stupid, but what's going to happen is that the consciousness is going to rise because this is a voluntary army. It's not a draft. And once they try back the draft, they'll be stopped. There's no question about that. And this is a voluntary army. We know there's not a voluntary army. Those brothers and sisters who are in there got no choice. They got to go in there. That's clear. So those brothers and sisters themselves are going to be the first ones who are going to have to question what they're doing there, why they're doing there. And if you go back to the history of the Vietnam War, you will see many Africans had much clash with white troops inside the U.S. Army, inside Vietnam. And that's one of the reasons why that war had to come quickly to a screeching halt. This process will develop quickly in the beginning of this war. So uh, those, those problems will develop. Our job now is to begin to tell all other brothers and sisters when they start sucking up them into the army that we're not going. And not only are we not going, but we're going to bring war to the streets of America. You do remember that after the First World War, returning veterans found conditions in black communities so horrible that they rioted. Every, every war. Time. Every war. World War I, the same thing in World War II, and the Vietnam War was cleared because at least we didn't wait for them to come back. We did it while they were there. And when these young men come back, they will be coming back to a country plagued by recession and other problems, which, of course, will be intensified in the black community. What do you think their response is going to be? Well, we know what their response is going to be. We've said that uh, there is, you know, people think that history repeats itself, but their response will be the resistance will be more qualified than it was in the 60s. In the 60s, they ended with burning the flag. 
This time, they start with burning the flag. Let's go back to the telephone. Caller, it's your turn. You're on the air. Go ahead, please. Yes, I wanted to address my question to, to your guest. I was a freedom rider and spent some time in the Mississippi State Penitentiary at Parchman at the time that um, SNCC was in its heyday. Um, the, one of the questions that was, uh, or issues that was raised by um, uh, Stokely Carmichael, as he was then called, was that the only place for women in SNCC was prone. I just wonder if over these years that he has now uh, grown up, What's your he name? has another attitude about women. What's your name? My name is Shirley Smith. Shirley Smith. Well, Shirley Smith, I don't know who you are, but if you know anything about that statement, do you think that you judge a person on a phrase about a, a, a statement as powerful as, the, as a woman's movement? Oh, no. I just wanted to know. I'm, no, that's I what I'm asking. But that's what you did. Why didn't you go and read? I change in your attitude well, about a lot you. of things, and I just would like to know where you are in your attitude toward women. Well, I'm giving you one. Why don't you go and read the dedication to the book Black Power? Did you ever read that one? No. Well, why don't you read that one? That phrase will tell you. That comment has never been made publicly. Can you show it to me where it's written or where I've publicly stated it? Can you show it to me? Can well, you can bring you it to me in my writing? the issue of where your attitude toward women. No, 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 no. We're talking about the statements you made. That's precise. Let us be precise. Do you have anywhere in any book I have written, any speech I have made, any public statement where that statement can be found? Or has it been told to you by others? That's the first question I ask you. No, it has been told to me by others who heard you make the statement. Right, good. So that means that if the statement was made, it was made only once. It was heard by a few, not a public statement. So even if I, were not, if I were not a revolutionary, I could deny it. I made the statement. The statement was made as a joke. Of course, you, if you say you were part of SNCC, would understand that in any organization, jokes can sometimes be brutal, even in war. If you go to war, the jokes that soldiers make, if you're not a soldier, can make you feel bad. And if you're an African, the jokes we tell about ourselves, if you're not African, try to make it, will get you. So that was a closed joke inside of SNCC, and only SNCC people could understand it. And if you could understand it, you would know it, because African men can oppress their women everywhere. But the one place we cannot oppress our women is on the front lines fighting for our struggle. If you look at the history of Africa, everywhere you will see women on the front lines, from Nzinga all the way down to Fanny Luhema to Asata Shaku. Women are always on the front lines. So this statement can only be a statement, obviously, not made for African women, made maybe for some other women, and if made for African women, obviously it had double-edged humor, because women are always on the front lines in our struggle, even though we oppress them everywhere. I don't know for other cultures, I just speak of my own. Are statements that you are alleged to have made privately because you're a public figure followed you throughout these past no. 22 years? This statement was picked up by the white women in SNCC who were put out of SNCC when I was chairperson and then picked up by the FBI. So since that's all they got, let them have it. You know. <laughs> Let's go back to the telephone. Caller, you're up next. You're on the air. Go ahead, please. please Caller, please. go right please. ahead. Go right ahead, please. Hello? Hello, go right ahead. Uh, yes, I'd like to see uh, Brother uh, Kwame Ture in a session with uh, Juan Williams. <laughs> but um, I wanted to ask uh, uh, Kwame Ture uh, to please comment further on the fact that uh, General Colin Powell stated that the military is an excellent way for blacks to advance, and he used himself as an example. Thank you. Okay, let me say that Kwame Ture may not even be aware of who Juan Williams is. Juan Williams is a reporter for mm -hmm. the Washington Post who has taken civil rights leaders and black elected officials to task in many of his articles. I don't know if you want to deal with him, but let's mm -hmm. talk about Colin Powell. Uh, anyway, uh, I just figure that any African who gets a position on the journey, what, what does he write for? The Washington Post. On the Washington Post ought to know the only reason they're there is like Colin Powell, because of the blood of the mass of their people, and that position is not for them, it's for the people, and should be used not to criticize the people, but to criticize the system which their people have been fighting to put them in that position. If they don't understand that, then uh, 
really they betray the struggles and the blood of their people. Colin Powell has said that the military is an excellent way for a black person to advance. I cannot see how anyone can tell me that the best way for one to advance is by being a hired killer. Even I don't see why we have ROTC on campus. We fought to put it off. I don't you mean to tell me the only way we can advance is by being killers and killers of the, 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 the enemies of American imperialism? Because who do we kill? We don't kill our enemies. Do we go to Azania, South Africa and kill uh, the clerk? Do we kill the Ku Klux Klan? Do we kill racist policemen? No, we go and we kill Arabs who ain't doing nothing against us. We don't even know them. They've never done anything against us. So uh, it is clear here that Mr. Powell is a liar. Mr. Powell is a traitor to his people, and Mr. Powell is a traitor to humanity, and Mr. Powell accepts that position. That position was made again, and don't you ever forget it, because of Dr. Martin Luther King. If you love King, you can never love Powell. If, Powell. You, were, if you were in a position to advise someone who had attained the position of general in the U.S. Army and was offered the chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, what would you have said? Blow it up. <laughs> the Pentagon? Blow it up. Obviously, Kwame Touré has not changed in very many respects. I have has changed, please. I'm more knowledgeable, I'm more experienced, and I'm more determined to destroy American imperialism. He is no more diplomatic than he has ever been. However, he has always been known to speak his mind, and to speak his mind openly and clearly, that is what he is doing tonight. Let's go back to the telephone. Caller, it's you. You're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hello. My name is Calvin Ruffin, too. I like to tell Mr. Touré that he is an incredible inspiration to me. He is... He's, he is the epitome of what we should all be aspiring to be. Okay, now, I'm a young, aspiring black filmmaker, and I like to just ask him, what, what should I be prepared to deal with as far as uh, racial blockades, etc.? Okay, my sister Zodi too and Zinger are watching, so we're kind of happy to even have a chance to listen to him. So, that's it. Okay, you're a filmmaker. <clears throat> yes, sir. Okay. Well, you must understand that if you're a filmmaker, none of your films, if they're serious, will be put on television. That's the first thing. What do you think about Spike Lee, by Oh, I think he's just a filmmaker who makes money. That's all. Uh, uh, he tries, but, uh, you know, if you want to, 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 to give a message to the people, then you have to be serious. You have to do some serious study, understand some things. It's not spontaneous. Uh, and what happens is you end up doing worse things. In fact, when the films are properly analyzed, then you do with good things. You know, if you want your films to get on Hollywood, you can't give a line for the people. That's clear. You can't help your people and make money, too. Not in the film. So if you're a real filmmaker, at this point in history, your films will not be popular. They will not be on the mass television, but the conscious element of your people will appreciate it. You will give inspiration to them and uh, push others forward. But if you're looking for popularity in this country, you will never get it by being honest or righteous or supporting just causes. Spontaneity is one of the mistakes we all made as young activists. Would you say that you would advise not only this young filmmaker, but other young activists to a avoid being spontaneous yeah. and to understand their history they must avoid it that's the error that we spoke about of uh, with all the best of intentions that spike lee has spontaneity will not adjust any cause we need serious scientific organization and clear analysis of the obstacles in our path okay let's go back to the telephone caller it's you you're on the air go ahead please uh mr Ture, this is jj johnson i don't know if you remember me but i first met you down jackson state um, I have two quick questions. First question I have to mention, in your, uh, the book you co-wrote, Black Power, you spoke on the colonialization that um, we as African Americans are going through. I wish you would comment on that. And second of all, how do you feel about the misrepresentation of the statements that you made, uh, I would say back in the 60s, about the Black Power and the Black Panther political party and things like that, and how the media has changed that all around? 
and turned it so negative. Please, comment. Thank you. Thank you. All right, on your second question, remember the first one for me. I'm trying. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> on the uh, second question about the uh, press media, the uh, capitalist press, of course, is an arm of the capitalist system, and it must preserve the system. Uh, therefore, it needs reformists, and reformists need the capitalist press. But I'm not a reformist. I'm a revolutionary. And, of course, when I first uh, entered serious struggle in Mississippi, there we couldn't use the press. The Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee could not use the press. Dr. King's organizations, they used the press because they were involved in mobilization. We were involved in serious organization. If the press man knew who we were, we would be killed, assassinated by the terrorist groups. So press was not an arm for us. I understand that the press is supposed to destroy uh, any uh, program that is trying to help bring our people together other than a reform program which paints America, look, makes her look nice, and keeps our people inside of her, politically speaking. So uh, we don't expect anything from the press, and when we come in contact with it, we fight it to use it, and of course when it comes in contact with us, it tries its best to destroy us. So we understand the nature of the struggle here. And since we're not reformists, we're in total struggle with the American capitalist press. Your first question. Are black people in America a colonized people? There's no question about it that we're a colonized people. Not only are we that, as a matter of fact, in the 60s, when we wrote that book, and the book is being uh, republished, and I've just looked at it, which I still hold to the thesis of the book, we didn't even have neo-colonial structures, but today we even have neo-colonial structures to show how really colonial we are. We have Bantu stands everywhere with uh, neo-colonial puppets. We have mayors who have no power. <laughs> as a matter of fact, some of our mayors are more are fighting harder for Israel than they are for Azania, South Africa. This man, this governor here, they're so proud about this one who made the biggest one. Where is he now? In Israel. Where is Dinkins in New York? In Israel. What do they do for Azania, South Africa? Nothing. Okay, let's go back to the telephone caller. It's your turn, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi, uh, yes. Good evening, Kwame and Kocho. Uh, yeah, Kwame... Uh, late to you. Try to make it brief. <laughs> yeah, I just realized we're all out of time. Um, there's, this been, there's been this argument with respect to nationalism and socialism, uh, one or the other, or both in combination. Uh, can you give me a briefest speech as to, you know, whether or not you see a dichotomy, a dilemma, or, or what, what the story is there? How much time do we have to answer this question? About two minutes. All right. I'm sorry, we don't have time, but let me tell you. According to Marxism-Leninism, they see nationalism as uh, basically negative. Sekou Touré, that great son of Africa, correctly pointed out that when you go from a nation to a state, as was in the case of Europe, nationalism is dominantly negative. But when you go from a state to a nation, as in the case of Africa, Asia, the Caribbean, South and Central America, the colonized world, nationalism is a plus. We must understand the laws of dialectics. The first thing that Karl Marx teaches us about the law of dialectics is that everything is positive and negative at the same time, and in certain conditions, the negative can be dominant or the positive can be dominant, but something is never stagnant or all, dom or all negative. Anytime someone tells you that nationalism is always negative and dominantly negative at all times, they know nothing of dialectics. We have definitely shown, and you will see for yourself, all the struggles since the Second uh, Imperialist War, what they call World War II, which have battered imperialism, have all fought under national liberation struggles, all of them. One of the better-known speeches of yours, as Stokely Carmichael, was your Free Huey speech back in 1968. How must you have felt when you heard of the death of Huey Newton? After all, you had been made an honorary leader of the Black Panther Party, and then you hear, while presumably in Conakry, that Huey Newton is dead, shot to death in a dispute with a drug dealer. No, Huey Newton was killed by the police. There's no question here. Huey Newton was killed by the police. There's no question here. 
And anyone who thinks differently is just not thinking and know nothing about politics and nothing of struggle in this country. When Huey Newton was charged with the killing of that, of that policeman, in every police chapter in this country, there are found racist organizations like the Aryan Brotherhood, the Ku Klux Klan. It makes sense. If you're a racist, be a policeman. You can shoot them. Justifiable homicide. You ain't got nothing to worry about. And the police told us then that if it takes them 25 years, they're going to kill Huey Newton. They told us that. They killed Huey Newton. The police killed Huey Newton. Nobody else killed him except the police. Okay, we have time for one more telephone call. We have about one minute left. Caller, please make it quick. Hello? What role does culture play in the liberation of black people, and is it time for black people to make their exodus to the continent? Thank you. Culture plays a crucial role, and unless we understand it, we get confused. Let me give you an example. Since the 70s, they've been talking about gay and lesbian liberation. And people come to us in our All-African People's Revolutionary Party all the time and say, you know we have this problem. This is not our problem. This is not our problem. And some say you're a macho. We tell them, get out of here. In the white community, homosexuality is not accepted. They're intolerant. They bash in their brains. But I've been all over the African world. And I've never seen anybody bash in the brain of any homosexual in the African world. We are not intolerant of homosexuality. Therefore, this is not a problem in our culture. It is a problem for European culture. We should not let other cultures impose their problems upon us. Therefore, culture is extremely important. Your ideology comes from your culture. That's why we are in Krumis Touré's in two minutes. And that's why he is who he is, Kwame Touré. Thank you all for joining us. Have a pleasant evening. I'll see you tomorrow. Évidemment que je dois me débrouiller Je suis le seul dans un appartement vide J'ai pas de quoi me faire des débrouiller Je me tiens la tête devant mon poster Suis-je un imposteur Dois changer de posture J'ai dit Dois changer de couleur Ou me laisser couler Ou prendre la couleur J'ai dit Tomber bien bas Des cahiers descendent Dois tout donner la mort N'a pas pendécendre Tout ce que je fais N'a aucun sens Qu'est-ce que je suis censé faire Car c'est sans idée j'ai mis la charrue avant les bœufs, bien sûr j'ai cassé, j'étais de rattraper le temps J'ai monté dans le mur me croyant, ainsi j'ai oublié qu'il était en béton Là je complexé, t'as vu, à la longue ça devient en béton Je me sens pété pour pression, je me sens obligé d'oser le son Mets dans la cocotte minou Car je dépense tout dans le loto Tu me ronges les ondes à chaque minute C'est pas ta faire à les deux Puis c'est vrai Tu sais dans ma course que t'en passe le bout Puis c'est vrai Tu sais dans ma goût Je l'avoue Tomber bien bas Les cahiers descendent Dois-tu donner la mort N'a pas en descendant Tout ce que je fais N'a aucun sens Qu'est-ce que je suis censé faire Car c'est sans idée c'est sans visite, je pourrais t'en sonner, qu'est-ce que ça pourrait sonner Oui j'ai sonné, j'ai mis la charrue avant les bœufs, les pieds j'ai gâté, j'étais de rattraper le temps J'ai fondé dans le mur de poignons, elle s'est vue oublier qu'il était en béton Là j'suis complexé, t'as vu, à la longue t'as de bien en béton J'me sens pété sous pression, je me sens obligé d'oser le temps
la salle avant les bœufs Et sur j'ai gâté, j'étais de rattraper le temps J'ai foncé dans le mur en me croyant Ben si j'ai oublié qu'il était en béton Là je suis complexé, t'as vu À la longue, ça devient en béton Je me sens empressé sous pression Je me sens obligé d'oser le temps of 
uh, of what's really happening is distorted as well. And uh, this uh, goes for our loyalty to U.S. policy. Uh, it, um, you know, it, uh, it, uh, Africa is presented in such a way that um, that we uh, that, that 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 we think we're in in Nirvana when 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 we're in the U.S. And, uh, you know, and that causes a certain uh, arrogance and uh, misunderstanding among our people about our reality. And also, uh, it also affects our view of the world. And uh, this is due primarily to the media and the educational system. Which is uh, Zionist controlled? Well, Anthony, in the present context of the relationship between Africans in this country and the Democratic Party, and given all the recent elections that we have saved them, I'm talking about recently, we still have nothing to show for it. So, what keep making African people to be loyal to this party? Uh, well, one, uh, well, one, our lack of organization. Uh, let's see. Um, I think, uh, I, I, I think, uh, you know, as Kwame, uh, you know, Teray points out, we're very disorganized as a people. And, uh, the Democrat, uh, the Democrats, take advantage of our lack of organization. And uh, every, um, uh, we have not organized among ourselves sufficiently to go up into uh, a, 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 an organization that is ostensibly multiple uh, nationalities in it and uh we're the we're the most disorganized nationality in the democratic party that's why we we're, that that's why even though I, in spite of our support we're not respected thank you brother Anthony. i see we have sister Eleanor on the way in on this question of course sister Eleanor, i know you have a position on that what is your position why is African people so loyal to Democratic Party? Because I know. Um, I think it's that um, um, as uh, both Kwame and Anthony said, we are not educated in terms of the history. We don't even realize our contributions to the Constitution. And uh, we're walking around in blindness and uh, bits and pieces of uh, um, information is given to us why the whole view isn't presented. And oftentimes, because of the legacy of chattel slavery, our parents and our uh, uh, forebearers do not discuss certain things because of what they perceive as the shame of it all and the misnomer that 
chattel slavery was somehow our fault. So, uh, and Carter G. Woodson said it so well in 1929 in his uh, paperback. It was a hardback, too, um, The Miseducation of the Negro. And there was a whole strategy to divide and conquer. And our focus became uh, fighting each other. They actually, um, since we went from chattel slavery to the pig and chicken laws where they had no laborers so they could allege debts where they were no debts. And, uh, you know, once uh, the uh, realization that after chattel slavery that if once free, we began to move forward with other oppressed people in the United States, the segregation laws were more strongly enforced. And we have to realize many of the things that we think today always existed didn't, like segregated housing is a phenomena that the United States uh, developed after what Asse Couture said was the Second Imperialism War or World War II so that when all these veterans returned home, they were offered housing. And that's when all these housing authorities first developed. And that housing was initially, for example, developed for whites. And from that, they developed the F, what is it, the FI, the at home purchasers program that everyone, the whites all got to buy homes. Well, that uh, was set up for them and it divided communities because poor people lived next door to each other despite race, and racism had nothing to do with who you lived next door to. It had to do with access to health care, education, and other resources. And as long and since the Brown versus the Board of Education, when that became law, the next thing was how do we how do we control these Africans? And it's through the miseducation of us as a collective, pitting one against the other. Um, uh, we have such an anomaly in this country until uh, diseased persons would be selected as role models for Africans and were excelling others of, 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 of good mental health and good mind were not. Well, this was all a strategy of government. And uh, this miseducation of the Negro was a 20th century phenomenon, even um, uh, in the Harlem Renaissance with the anonymous poem um, Willie Lynch talks about how it was decided that instead of all the lynching, they would just teach us to hate each other. The light one would hate the dark one. The farmer would hate the city person, vice versa. So with this kind of internal conflict going on, people can't make righteous decisions. 
and we're afraid to leave any party but the Democratic Party. The D.C. Statehood Party, for example, was a powerful party, but then the Green Party came along and blacks had no place in it for a long time. So the only place you could be was in the Democratic Party. And another reason people hang on to the Democratic Party are state voting laws. Some law states do not allow you to vote in the primaries unless you have a party affiliation. The state of Texas is exempt from that. Oh, For example, last, last word, in the state of Texas, it doesn't matter what party you are. You don't have to be a member of a party to vote in the primaries. But in the nation's capital, you have to be a member of a party to vote in the primary, and you can only vote in that in that party's primaries. So a lot of it has to do with state and federal laws that are set up to undermine the masses, including us Africans. Thank you. Thank you, my sister. Brother Hakeem, you heard some responses, but let's continue to travel down this this road with a list of slight dissimilarities. Number one, can we not measure what do we receive from our vote historically? Let's take the last four elections. What have the Africans received from the vote and from the Democratic Party? But my main question to you, Brother Hakeem, is how do we break this this this, this love for America? I think Brother Ture's statement was true. Africans in this country love America and love America more than Americans love America. Your response, Brother Hakeem. Yeah, I, I, I think that in a nutshell, Brother Africa, I think you asked the question, why are we so beholden to the Democratic Party? In a nutshell, patriotism. It's, it's patriotism, pure and simple. Our position is that we, we feel it's our obligation to support one party or the other, not understanding that essentially two, the so-called two-party system is rigged. And, of course, when we talk about in terms of the benefits of the two-party system, but the two-party duopoly, it doesn't incorporate the needs of African people. In that regard, when you talk about the socioeconomic status of African people being very, very negatively in, impacted in society, to that regard, the Democratic Party, no more than the Republican Party, can take the aspirations of African people seriously simply because African people don't have access to large sums of money. We do have, well, let me restate that. We do, have, we do have access to large sums of money if we were organized. The problem is that it's one of, our de- one of mentality. If our position is that money somehow defines who we are as a people, then the more we then we get access to a little money, we, 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 we hoard it. We hold on to it. We don't use it to empower community because our position is that this money defines you as a human being. In that regard, you know, uh, you know in that regard, I think that, uh, you know, um, whether it's Democrat or Republican Party, any party that potentially can increase your opportunity to access to money is a party that you view favorably. But certainly in the context of the Democratic Party, uh, Sister Eleanor has a point. I mean, clearly when you talk about the primaries in terms of a lot of the mandates governing primaries, clearly they, de- they determine for you, you know, uh, the parameters of, of how you vote. And that's done for a reason. They understand, those people in positions of power in those states understand that this duopoly serves the interests of the elite. In other words, they want to keep people thinking in terms of you only have one or two options. But I think for the African people, I think what is important 
is that you know we we have to sort of step aside or get get around this whole conditioning process. But we think that uh, in fact uh, when we vote for the lesser two evils, that somehow we've done a noble thing. We have to begin to understand you know you know as as a people, uh, as a people with aspirations, as a people with interests, that we have to start acting and thinking like that. And it doesn't necessarily entail voting the Democratic Party, nor does it entail voting the Republican Party. Because the bottom line is that both parties are the party of the elite. And so it doesn't really matter. But what the things that we need to do in terms of moving in the society upwardly, the things that we need to do is uh, dependent upon us and the community. The things that we need, we have the means and we should do them ourselves if we had the mentality, we had the understanding of that. The problem is that because we're so bit miseducated in terms of what it is, in terms of being an African person, we actually perceive that it's crap that we've been taught in schools is legitimate. When I came along, it was black sambo. That was the only black history we got, black sambo. You know what I mean? And so to the extent that our people internalize this notion that to be African is to be inferior, we accept in everything that comes our way because we feel lucky to be here. And so when, so when racists say that, listen, you're lucky to be, you're lucky to be in America, or otherwise you'd be in Africa swinging from trees, blah, 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 blah. A lot of our people really believe that. They really believe that. Because they understand they know, our people know nothing about our history. They know nothing at all about our history. Everything, the only history they know is what they taught them. And to the extent that you internalize the history that they present, of course, the kind of self-hatred that, that, that manifests, the kind of self-loathing, uh, the kind of hopelessness and despair uh, that's implicit in certain kinds of negative information, of course, when you internalize that, then the way you behave is a reflection of how you think. And so for us, the struggle is, is, is not only overcoming the conditioning in terms of making sure that our children understand the history properly, but also understanding that as a, as, as, as a, as a human being who, uh, who's, a, who's autonomous, that we have a right, you know, to the, to the, to the, to the spoils of the society, based, not only based upon the contributions of African people to American society, but it's just as human beings that we have a fundamental right. But those things that we are entitled to, we have to understand. They're not going to give them to us simply because they don't see us as part and parcel, you know, of the American experiment. Even though we think, we, you know, we think in terms of patriotism, people in power don't see us in patriotic terms. They see us as the other. And the bottom line is that because they see us as the other, it is coming upon us to see us as somebody who's autonomous, who's self-determined, who's going to do in and everything in terms of making sure that despite the conditions that we find ourselves confronted with in society, that we struggle to overcome those conditions. So to answer your question, Brother Africa, the question in terms of patriotism has to be challenged. Uh, right now, you know, with the, the emergence of churches, uh, and, and not all churches, because you've got some very dynamic presses out here. I'm not going to call their names out because I don't want to get them in trouble. But you've got some dynamic uh, 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 pastors out here who are doing wonderful work you know, in terms of waking up the masses of people, trying to get the people to understand the complexities of the system we find ourselves confronted with. But, uh, but, but if anything barring uh, uh, or reawakening in terms of who we are as a people, anything that doesn't com- combat conditioning or anything that doesn't refute this whole notion, this whole drive of patriotism, then we, of course we're going to embrace the Democratic Party simply because we see them as the lesser of two evils. And that is a fundamental fallacy on our part. We ourselves have to come to the realization that when you ask the question, what have the policies, what policies have manifest for the Democratic Party come be a benefit to the African people, the question is zero. That's not a mistake. That's not. Keep in mind, 
when those people are elected to positions of power, their problem, their their motivation has nothing to do in terms of serving the interests of the people. Their motivation has served the interests of themselves. And it's very, very clear. They understand that if you play ball, there's potential to make lots and lots of money. But you don't make money by bucking the system. You make money by playing ball within the context of the system. So in that context, why would why would a uh, Democratic Party give a damn about the aspirations of African people, particularly because African people don't have no have any money? So we, we have to understand reality is that when we talk about the Democratic Party, it's a party essentially that is bankrupt. And we have to fundamentally understand that. That everything we need, everything we desire, we have to do it for ourselves. Until our people fundamentally understand that reality, the bottom line, we keep on thinking that somehow the Democratic Party is going to save us. In reality, the Democratic Party is presented to deceive us or to trick us uh, in terms of the reality of the political situation in the society. So clearly, Brother Africa, we have to deal with this question of patriotism. We have to see it for what it is as a smokescreen and begin to do those kind of things that we need to do for ourselves in terms of truly empowering ourselves and in preserving the future of our, for our children. And it's that clear. And I'll close with that. Brother Haki, this question of why we love America more than America love America, can you speak to that again? I missed that point. Well, it, it goes. It goes with what Brother Anthony, uh, Sister Eleanor was saying, it, and Brother Mother Moses. It all goes to the question in terms of conditioning. To the extent okay. that we don't have any control of the educational system, a lot of information that we receive is directly from people who don't have African people interests in mind. So when they innovate educational criteria, it's not to give, provide truth, or to provide light, or to provide balance in terms of representation of information. It's to present information in such a way that somehow African people always come on the losing end of that information. In other words, African people always present it in a negative light. Some, 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 means, some ways in which they facilitate that is more complex than other, time, and other means, but unless but the means are the same, it's to present African people in a negative light. So if you grow up in a society which tells you that you never did anything because, you know, uh, or that you're incapable of doing anything, that the color of your skin has condoned you to a life of misery and, and deception, life of misery and despair, and if you don't know the history, you believe it, because there's, there's nothing that's going to indicate that what you're being taught is kind of is, is, is not truthful. Particularly when you got to talk about the social conditions that sort of reinforce those kind of images, those kind of values in our people, who then act out those same conditions. And so when you walk around and you see brothers and sisters out here stressed out, drugged out, uh, brothers and sisters you know who are killing each other, brothers and sisters who are doing in everything in terms of survival. Then in the mind of children, it reinforces the notion that there's something fundamentally wrong with African people. Kids are not, kids are not, uh, are not uh, complex enough to understand the sociological implications of what they're seeing. They only know what they see. And if we as adults don't provide clarity for our children so they understand precisely what it is they're looking at, they embrace those, 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 those images as an indication or reflection of who we are as a people. That is not a mistake. That is all part of the sociological process in America. And, and I keep saying this over and over again, you know, and people keep asking, Brother Haki, what do you mean by socialization? I don't know how I'm making it clear. Socialization is clear. If you present, if you, if you impact people with certain kinds of information, if you inundate people with certain kinds of information, just like a computer, based upon the information that people receive, they're going to behave based upon the information they receive. People like computers that way. And so when you talk about the African experience, you talk about uh, uh, systematically destroying our history. 
systematically destroying our accomplishment, systematically destroying our intelligence, systematically destroying the contribution to society. When you talk about not only in America but throughout the world, so when you talk about a system that systematically destroys all those things that define who you are as a people, then of course the only thing left is the negative. And so we have an obligation as people to understand that this is reality. So even if they, 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 they attempt to destroy African history in American society, so what? We have the means and the opportunity to teach our children. All we have to do is come together and get it done. It's not, it's not rocket science. It's not calculus. It's very, very simple. But the problem is that given the conditioning process for many of our people, it's very difficult for a lot of our people to overcome the conditioning. And so when you try to explain to them stuff, it's, just, it's very difficult for them to comprehend. Because of, cent- because of centuries of information that was erroneous, information that was false. So to the extent that people, our people embrace this nonsense, of course the Democratic Party has legitimacy. In their mind, of course they has legitimacy. So when you say to African people, listen, this is reality. Despite what they have been telling us, these systems are not in our, in- in our best interest. What can we do to help ourselves? They'd be like, what's wrong with you, man? What's wrong with you? They created a system, you know, that's, that's in our interest. You know, in other words, I'm free to vote. And, you know, in all of those votes, these people are going to look out for my interests. Well, we try to tell them, say, listen, but there's nothing in the material ever manifest in terms of having these black people or these democratic people uh, in power. There's nothing concretely manifests to benefit the African people. What's up with that? You get, you get a blank. Nothing. Zero. No response. So, it's, so, it's, so this conditioning process, Brother Africa, is, 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 is something that, first and foremost, we have to begin to acknowledge, you know, that this negative conditioning that this slave mentality that a lot of us manifest, don't get me wrong, I, I, at one point I had it too. Listen, I'm not, I'm not sitting here you know, preaching from, from, you know, from, you know, from, from the towers. I'm telling you, I had the same mentality. I, at one point, uh, had this perception in terms of skin color to find intelligence. I had this notion that light-skinned women were better than dark-skinned women. I had this perception you know, that uh, women's hair texture, based upon that, was, made them more desirable. I had all of that craziness I had internalized, all of that craziness. It wasn't. It wasn't until I was in high last year of high school when when I listened to Louis Farrakhan and he was breaking down the uh, the psychological dimensions in terms of what it is to be an African person in society. Did I begin to critique my own behavior, my own my own perception, my own views? In addition to my sister saying to me, "You know what? You got a problem with color." I never even thought about it. I just thought it was natural. I didn't even think about it. It was conditioning. I didn't know that was so part of socialization. I didn't know that. I just think I was just doing what was natural. So, we ha- so when I say we have to overcome this, con- con- this, this, this question of conditioning, social conditioning of our people, I'm not saying that there's anybody out here who's particularly averse, you know, to that social conditioning. We've all, all somehow been impacted by that. And we, we, if, we, if we say we haven't, we're lying. Because the bottom line, it does. As kids growing up, the information that you receive, you have no control over it. You simply accept it and accept it as your own, and you act on it based upon your understanding of the information that you receive. So it's coming upon us, if we're going to move forward in this society, if we don't firmly understand that we, that we have to be self-determined, that we have to see ourselves as autonomous, and we have to understand that, you know, in terms of capitalism, they don't see African people as part of the system. Until we firmly understand that, we keep on acting as though we're part of the system, even though the results in terms of the indifference toward African people, in terms of interest of African people, are, are, are vastly, uh, are continuously are demonstrated in terms of policies that manifest in the society, which says distinctly, you know, African people need not apply. So it's coming upon us to understand the nature of the beast 
and to create those kind of institutions and organizations in the community to impact our children. Because if we don't do that, then Brother Africa is very, very clear, the system will. And I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother Moses. Your response to the narrative of we Africans will go abroad and shoot American enemies, but we don't shoot our own enemies. Speak to that, Brother Moses. What's up with that? We go abroad and shoot Indians? We're going to try to shoot enemies that America says they're enemies. We're shooting enemies defined by Americans. Well, Africans mm. don't shoot enemies, their own enemies. Right. Well, um, we we have been, uh, like they said, you know, you ha- the the people will have you thinking your enemies are your friends and your friends are your enemies. I mean, if you listen to the, the media and the dominant ruling class ideology. And so we have to have a uh, study, 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 and uh, show that we understand what's going on and uh, and uh, rightfully divide the word of truth. And so, like, um, to me, the question is really one of, you know, self-determination and um, the ability to to get your will done, uh, your interest carried out in words and in deeds. And the struggle is to get that. And so the, the you know, we have to use scientific socialism. Uh, we have to struggle on all fronts, the ideological front, the political front, and the economic front. And, um, I think, you know, there's a lack of understanding of the political front. Uh, people have a non-struggle attitude on the political front. They don't want to participate in politics. They want to talk talk, and uh, basically it reminds me of the Jewish culture, national autonomy people. They just want, they just want a, um, a people without a land for a land without a people or something. And uh, they just, they, they never, the tide never hits the road. I mean. I'm I'm into electoral politics because I'm determined that I should have a say in in who's who's um, who's governing me basically, and um, I'm determined that it's a united front against fascism that is not the continuous or the the democratically minded people, the socialist-minded people and the communist-minded people all united in the front against fascism, and that's a very practical problem, and voting is part of that problem, and uh, and I'm, I'm not so aloof from the world that I can I can say it don't matter to me who's in the office. I'm just that there aloof, and so uh, it's a very practical problem for me, uh, uh, and um, I think, you know, Idealism is great, you know, uh, but sooner or later the tie has to hit the road. We got to struggle in words and in deeds on all fronts. Thank you. Yeah, Brother Moses, you once taught me that it's not about the man, it's about the plan. So it seems to me that the history, no matter what political positions we find ourselves in, our conditions are going to get better. So something's wrong with the equation of this participation electorally will bring about our liberation. That's where I'm confused in. But anyway, brother, I hear you. We'll move on. 
We go to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, talk to me, Brother Anthony. Brother Ture raised this whole issue of um, if you're talking about making money and producing things to make money and you want to make a lot of money, normally it doesn't weigh well with serving the interests of African people. Can you explain that dichotomy, Brother Anthony? Question making money in this capitalist system and having the means and ability to serve the interests of your people. Uh, yes, he 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 gave um, he gave the example of uh, uh, Spike Lee, and um, you know I thought that was an interesting example that uh, that uh, you know actually making a, a serious material about African people entails uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, research and, uh, you know, a lot, uh, you know, uh, and a lot of time that if you want to, ma- uh, make money, you cannot, uh, if you want to make something that's popular in the U S or other capitalist countries for that matter, then you cannot ser- uh, r- really make material that serves the interests of Africans, and um, and uh, let's see. And if you uh, and if you look at some uh, some of the films uh, that uh, that he has produced. Uh, you know, they, uh, they do not, uh, uh, serve the interests of African people in a positive way. And, uh, and, uh, let's see. And, uh, he says there's a contradiction between, uh, you know, doing what's popular and uh, and uh, and uh, serving African people, and uh, you know, uh, looking at history, that is correct. Uh, you know, um, uh, th- um, there have been serious films uh, done about uh, Africans, but. They have not been popular in U.S. society. Thank you, Brother Anthony and Brother Haki. I come back to you for a second, and your response to this question is explain to our people, do you accept the reality that the African people here and throughout the world that we are colonized people? What does Brother Toure mean by that, from your perspective? We're colonized people. Very simply. Yes. Look at, very simply. Look at this. Look at the. Look at the social economic conditions of African people. And certainly, you got to conclude why is it uh, that uh, African people consistently are at the bottom of the social economic ladder. So what? What is it? What is it about African people that make that make that scenario possible? So then you come to realize that there's a system in place in terms of ensuring those kind of results. Because if you keep in mind, if you talk about to the educational levels in terms of African people, specifically African women, uh, disproportionately African women do very, very well academically. 
But yet, when you look at the socioeconomic statistics, it's not reflecting socioeconomic statistics. So if it's not reflecting the socioeconomic statistics, then you've got to ask yourself the question, what is going on here? Uh, all, in addition to, uh, to compounded by the fact that when you think about it in terms of, when you look in terms of the educational system, which is designed in terms of ensuring that you have a apartheid kind of educational system in America, where, at, where city schools, predominantly African, where African students, don't have access to the latest books or the latest technology, but yet your, your suburban schools, even your rural schools, have a lot of your rural schools have access to the latest books, latest technology. And so then you begin to realize that there's a system in place in terms of trying to foment certain kind of results. And the results they're trying to foment is to ensure that we remain bothered to the socioeconomic heap. So, so for those who argue, well, listen, education is the key. Theoretically, you're absolutely correct. Education should be the key. But in a more complex kind of capitalist system, in terms of uh, people maneuvering behind the scenes, a lot of times the conditions that they create are geared toward ensuring that the education is nullified. So even though you're educated and, you, and you're qualified, the bottom line is that those positions of power understand that you, you represent an existential threat in the, in the sense that once you arise above the heat, then you set an example for other, other African children to see, which is a direct threat to the ruling class and their children in terms of competition for resources that exist in society. So clearly, uh, Brother Africa, so, so, so when we talk about the socioeconomic aspect of African existence in society, then we fundamentally have to understand that there is a system in place. And the question is, you know, given that system in place, what are we going to do to overcome that system? If we think for one second that voting is going to make it possible for us to overcome that system, then we need to think again. The bottom line is going to take organizations, individuals working together to do those kind of things for ourselves, which we're capable of doing. And as far as the economics is concerned, collectively, African people have the economics in terms of doing things we need to be done for our communities. It's simply a question in terms of will. For, for most of us, uh, because of the value system that we hold, which is a capitalist value system, we're very individualistic, and we think that money, in fact, define who we are as a human beings. To the extent that we internalize those kind of values, they become counterproductive in terms of creating the kind of conditions to ensure that we proliferate despite the kind of pressure that exists in American society. And with that, Brother Africa, I conclude. You will include, Brother Haki, but I have one response to your question. I want you to share with this audience. What is the disconnect between our belief that we are free versus the reality that we are colonized? How do we get our people to realize that we are not free people? <laughs> well, Brother Africa, every time, every time the cops shoot one of us for no, for no justification and get off with it, you're not free. I mean, that's very, very clear. Uh, but certainly one of the reasons why uh, those magicians of power uh, validate cops' actions when they kill us is because they want to send a message that we're not free. Uh, also, when you think about it in terms of the, the poor quality of education and instruction in American society, and you look at the disconnect between public schools and, 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 and suburban schools, and you look at a disconnect, and you have to conclude that apparently you're not free because if you're free, you have to say, access to the same books and technology other schools have access to, but you don't. So then you can't be free. I, you're not free. Uh, certainly when you think in terms of situation like housing, even though you have the means in terms of living to pick a house and people de- deny you the opportunity to live in that house or that community based upon your skin color, then what they're telling you that you're not free. So at some point we have to begin to realize that the reality is that we're living in a colonized existence. In fact, they, they use us as we see fit. To the extent that we're benefiting in terms of, in terms of labor, we keep costs down. We keep labor costs low. 
we keep labor costs low because they un- people understand that if you don't allow yourself to be exploited, we're simply bringing in these, these African people, pay them even less, and they will be more than happy to, to do the work. Uh, so we come to the realization that so when you talk about free versus being colonized, then given that reality, then you got to conclude that we are colonized people. Uh, you know, and, and, and one of the things when you talk about the poverty in terms of American society, most poverty disproportionately is located where? Down south. Why is it down south? Why not up north? Disproportionately, most of the people in south in the south are African. So when you look at when you think about the question in terms of disproportionately being poor, it makes sense that the south would be the poorest region of America because you got most Africans in the south. So that's not because Africans are lazy or or uneducated or somehow lack motivation. It's because you have fundamentally a system in place to ensure those kind of those kind of results. Uh, so clearly, uh, Brother Africa, the question is, you know, so for someone who's confused about our colonization, then if you look at the socioeconomic indicators in terms of African people, then you have to conclude either that something's systemically wrong in terms of the system or our people are fucked up. Our people are not fucked up. Our people are, uh, are, 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 people are, are caught up in a system which is doing, that's, which, which, is raging, which, which is raging havoc, you know, on spiritually, mentally, uh, uh, even our material existence. And so we have to fundamentally understand that reality, and to the extent that we understand the reality, we can begin to move forward and do the kind of things for ourselves that we need to do in terms of being viable, you know, in a very, very racist and very capitalist society. Uh, so clearly, Brother Africa, we are colonized people, and there's no question about that. There's no getting around that. Thank you. Thank you, my brother. Sister Eleanor, and closing us out for this particular um, segment and today's program. When we come back, we have our final thought. Sister Eleanor, talk to me, Sister Eleanor. My question to you is, can you raise the fundamental difference between when one talking about they want independence, independence versus separation, as Brother Teray spoke about in his um, presentation, and how those words are used against African people? When we say we want independence, they define it as separation. And that's the difference between the two. But give me your take on that that phenomenon, Sister Eleanor. Independence is talking about access to basic, quote unquote, uh, uh, U.S. Uh, um, access to what any white or immigrant has access to, and that is many immigrants, uh, middle class or whatever, have access to. That's health care. That's education, transportation. You know, I mentioned earlier about food deserts. Well, we want independents to have access to, to community gardens, community grocers, to fresh food. You know, we, in many communities, uh, you have to travel by public transportation. I was listening to a former leader of the Black Panthers, and she talked about when she grew up in Philadelphia, which used to be the spot where uh, Harriet Tubman uh, ran people to be free on the Underground Railroad that she knew no one with the car growing up. So instead of, we want to have access to transportation so that the only way some of our people ever ride in a car 
if it's not an Uber, because they can't afford an Uber, is to hijack it or borrow it um, through theft, what's labeled as theft. So language is such a delicate thing. Our independence is not the same as being segregationist, though one could argue that segregation offered some benefits to uh, African, uh, African-Americans in that we built our own economic structures in our black townships, whether in Maryland, whether in Oklahoma, whether in Florida, wherever these black townships were. We, uh, we built uh, schools, banks, and banks is not, a bank is just not a business. It's a, a building. It's an economic system. And uh, we had our own practitioners in terms of doctors and nurses, so our life expectancy was longer. But we've gone through a huge atrocity since World War II and the Korean occupation. Um, drugs were forced on the black community, you know, and then after Vietnam, they developed crack for Africans to consume and to foster the economic needs of the Nicaraguan War. So, you know, what we want is our freedom, freedom to breathe clean air, freedom to support a clean environment, freedom to have a decent home, to have decent schools. As Brother Haiki said about the school system, as I listened, I was thinking of Kadoza, a, a local high school in the nation's capital. How a few years ago, the kids were using used books from someone else's school, and then they didn't have enough for every student, so they decided that they would pass out Xerox or photocopy packets for the children. So what this is doing is to educate people not to view books as important or necessary in their own education because otherwise they'd have access to them in schools system doesn't even take many of its students to libraries and expose them to using the library, that they don't, uh, illiterate people are not exposed to reading material on their level and do not, have not been taught that the more you read, the better you read. The more you do anything, the more proficient you become. Practice makes improvement. But what we want is independence. What we want is to not have to live in fear. Because one thing the analysts did talk about is our loyalty and our patriotism. We are the most patriotic of all in America. We didn't cheat on our taxes while we were being lynched. We didn't burn down the white man's home while he was destroying our community or raping our mothers in his kitchen. We did not. We continued to have, quote, faith 
But the other thing is how religion has been misused to make us believe that the poor will inherit the heaven and these kind of backwards notions. Independence is the right to self-determination, and that's what we are seeking, a right to self-determination and to have the economic means and whereas to sustain ourselves and our community so that we do not operate on the id. And the only thing that ID will be is a, a word for a few points on a Scrabble board instead of our mode of operandi where all we do is think about our immediate selves and our very limited nuclear family. So that's what we're looking for. We're looking for independence. And that seems that it can only come through revolution and it can only come through organizing. And we need to see a change in the voters' rights uh, policies of this country. Remember, Brother Africa, and to our audience, that we've been struggling the last few years just to get the John Lewis Act, any act passed that will secure our right to vote. It's just a reform, but it's an essential reform to our liberation and our independence. Right now, Congress is busy trying to undermine the voting rights of U.S citizens. So it's very important to realize that segregation and independence are two different things or separation and independence are two different things. We're only seeking um, opportunities and we can't base equality with I have nothing, someone else has four million and say we have the same rights. No, we don't. I don't have the resources to purchase food for my family or a vehicle for them to ride in or to drive. I don't have the resources to purchase the health care that I need for my family. People are dying of cancer in my community when they live two or three miles of advanced medical facilities, whether it's John Hopkins, whether it's Sloan Kettering in New York, whether it's um, Howard University in the district, they just don't have the resources that it takes to be equal and therefore to be independent, and our struggle is for independence. Thank you, Mr. Liberation. This is Africa on the move. We're going to take a station break, and when we come back, we're going to make some announcements and seeking your support and our final thoughts on part one of the two-part series, Haiti, Africa, and the Global Dynamics of Race. This is Brother Africa. And you are listening to Africa on the Moon.
I've been wondering what's been going on I've been here before but I don't remember when And every time we get to where we're entering I feel my beliefs and hope surrendering But I know I'll be coming home soon Yes, I know I'll be coming home soon Cause like the enemies that we are battling I am nothing but a human alien Left with nothing else but to keep wandering Down this path while stopping my hands trembling Because I know That I'll be coming home soon And yes I know That I'll be coming home soon With a soldier's eyes With a soldier's eyes With a soldier's eyes With a soldier's eyes I've seen inside the devil's dreams Where young men die And graveyards open up their arms For mothers left to cry I have seen the bleeding And I hear what we've done But just like every other fool here I'll keep marching on Because I know That I'll be coming home soon And yes I know That I'll be coming home soon With a soldier's eye With a soldier's eye With a soldier's eyes With a soldier's
day the black of the best, the sweet of the juice, I taste the dark of the flesh, and the deep of the roots, I give a holler to my sister's own welfare, if don't nobody else care, and uh, I know they like to beat you down a lot, and when you come around the block, brothers clown a lot, so please don't cry, dry your eyes, never let up, forgive, but don't forget, girl, keep your head up, and when he tells you you ain't nothing, don't Sister, you don't need, and I ain't trying to catch up, I just call them how I see. You know what makes me unhappy, when brothers make dates, and leave a young mother to be a happy. And since we all came from a woman, got our name from a woman, and I came from a woman. I wonder why we take from my women, why we rape our women, do we hate our women? I think it's time to kill for our women, time to heal our women, be real to our women. And if we don't, we'll have a race of babies that will hate the ladies that make the babies. And since a man can't make one, he has no right to tell a woman when and where to create one. So will the real men get up? I know you're fed up, lady. But keep it heavy. I'm a 
That's right. We're going to keep our head up to all those who made a conscious choice to understand that the only way we're going to be free is for us to free us. We thank you for the understanding, and let's continue to fight the good fight because we're going to keep our heads up because we're going to win. We welcome you back to Africa on the Move. I'm your host. Brother Africa, we're in the seat. We're going to take the heat. As we decide it, we're going to stand behind it. We may not give you what you want, but we'll do our best to give you what you need. We know in order to get on up, we got to get on down. So come and join us and help fight this fight. We're going to close out right now on part one of the two-part series, Haiti, Africa, and the Global Dynamics of Race. We'll do part two next week. Make sure you spread the word. Join us at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And like always, if you want to share your flowers and give your love to Africa on the Moon Radio, you can do that by making your donation by Cash App with a dollar sign, capital L, small e, small e, small c, small r, small o, small b, or you can zero. And you can zero it to Africa. Awareness Association 2 at Gmail. We thank you for any support and contributions. Like always, we want to remind everyone that Africa on Move, part of the Pan-African Movement, we are a tool and a platform for you to have your voice heard because we are part of the international arena of those African brothers and sisters that are oppressed or managing who doesn't have a vehicle to share our voice. We are here for you. So at this point in time, let's close out this program. Program by bringing back our political panelists and analysts, and they can give us their final thoughts on today's program. And we'll start with Brother Moses. We ask you, if you can, keep your closing remarks to under two minutes, please. Thank you, Brother Moses. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. Um, I think, you know, we have to recognize that a nation is a historically evolved community of people and on a definite territory, and, you know, they have a, the nation has a right to sovereignty. And we can talk about colonialism and oppression when we talk about nations. Uh, um, however, you know, the, the national sentiment uh, of oppression, and uh, which which is real um, leads to organizations being formed to, to, to fight that uh, oppression. And that's where, that's why the Jewish defense league was formed. I mean, and no doubt that's, that's why um, the nation of Islam, um, Marcus Garvey, um, um, I mean, Kwame Ture, all, all because of the, racist oppression of of Africans and um however you know that doesn't mean there's a there is some kind of sovereignty to be found um um in and of itself i mean certainly pan africanism is a valid struggle um a unified unified africa under scientific socialism that's valid but um 
there's a lot of national sentiment, uh, just basically, basically just narrow nationalism, uh, and we have to overcome that and see ourselves as workers in a struggle. I realize that the critical race theory is if you're white, you're right. If you're brown, stick around. If you're black, get back. But we have to see ourselves as workers, too, and overcome this system, which is oppressing us all. And I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Next, we go to Sister Eleanor. Your final thoughts. Keep it under two minutes, please. Yeah, and when we talk about independence, we're talking about being powerful. We're talking about being. Uh, we're talking about being autonomous. We're talking about self-sufficiency. We're talking about not being ruled by others. We're talking about being self-supporting, self-sustaining. This is what the people are crying for. This is what we need, liberation. Yes, self-governing, governed, not having our where we sleep, what we eat being determined by others. And oftentimes when we think of independence, we really just think of, uh, say, one nation being oppressed by a more powerful nation being liberated and free. But thank you so much for a wonderful program, Brother Africa, fellow analysts, and to our listening audience. And uh, we are reliant on each other. And we are we are what we need for our own freedom and to be self-reliant. And education and organization, health, housing, a hungry man is not only an angry man, a hungry man cannot think, a hungry child cannot concentrate. So what we're looking for is self-sufficiency and economic control and social control over our destiny and a unified African Africa and African diaspora. Thank you and good evening. Thank you and good evening to you, Sister Eleanor. Next, Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for tonight. Yes. My final thought for tonight is uh, Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism is the solution to all the problems we've we've been discussing tonight. And uh, it is, uh, and in order to achieve that, it is necessary for Africans to be organized uh, and working for an organization that is struggling to achieve Pan-Africanism. One such organization is the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Uh, You can find out more about our objective history, purpose, 
and our program by visiting our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org. And uh, you can also find out all, all of our contact information as well and the history of our struggle to achieve Pan-Africanism, which is the, uh, the political and economic solution to the problems we're facing. But in order to achieve that, we have to be organized as a people. And uh, I urge all Africans to join an organization that is working for to achieve Pan-Africanism. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Brother Haki, your final thoughts for tonight. Yeah, well, you know, one of the things, Brother Africa, you know, we talk about the precarious situation African people are confronted with here in North America. Uh, you know, recently I read an article, and we're talking about the fact that uh, gun manufacturers have been you know, consciously creating a, a, a narrative which says that increasingly more and more African people are purchasing weapons. Where as a result of putting that narrative out, uh, gun sales among white people increase exponentially. So the question is that this notion that, in fact, that somehow African people are just in, innately violent is, is, is very, very laughable. When you talk about the root of all violence in the society, it doesn't come from African, Amer- African people in America. It comes from white people in America. Uh, but yet they're able to paint a narrative which paints, essentially paint African people as violent, whereas the, the perpetrators of real violence who happen to be white uh, escape, uh, escape any type of culpability or blame. Uh, so clearly that, that has very negative implications for our, for our existence in society. So when we talk about the role of propaganda in the society, then we can't dismiss the fact that this kind of propaganda that the, the ruling elite can use at will in terms of essentially uh, setting our communities up. And because they have the power to set our communities up, then we have to understand that our system, our, our condition by the very nature is very, very precarious and unstable. And it's, and it's such that we have to become organized because we really don't have any choice. But even Brother Africa, and having said that, I always encourage people to unravel the matrix. I think that is key. I mean, it's clearly the changes that are taking place are, are taking place at warp speed. Uh, even in the context of bureaucracy, where you normally would think that would take time for people to debate ideas, in this new uh, era of uh, uh, hypercapitalism, uh, decisions are made, you know, within with a matter of weeks. Uh, and given that reality, you know, one of the things that when we talk about in terms of the desperation of people in control, when we talk about capitalist elites, then we got to understand that for them, uh, not only are they very, very precarious in terms of their condition, but the 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 the, the, uh, the creation of scapegoats for them is, becomes extremely important. And because scapegoats are extremely important to them, uh, they're not going to hesitate in terms of creed and scapegoats. We must understand the nature of the beast, understand the nature of the game, and we must become organized. There's no other way around it. But having said that, Brother Africa, you have a good night. And you do the same, Brother Hatchett. We thank you. We thank our listening audience and our friends, our supporters, for supporting Africa on the Move. We'd like to remind you that part two will be next week on Haiti, Africa, and the global dynamics of race. Join us at 7 p.m. and spread the word. And like always, that's all we strive to go forward, backwards, novel, and remember. Africa is on the move. We'll see you next week.
If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries, their freedom almost gone. Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine. Needs, our love. needs our love. Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth. Take a stand for justice, that's what we've got to do. Cause Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. Chains living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by a noose, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know. I must be strong to last through my journey, yeah, last through my journey, yeah. Time will arrive when we must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. must prepare and learn how to care, but soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be to know that I've been here and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 made it through my journey, made it through my journey, Pellerino, a bloodline across the waters, from Benin to Salvador Bahia, 
a scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino! You can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino is the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun, pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. Light is clear. Oh, how beautiful I will be to know that I've been here and made it through my journey. Yeah, and made it through my journey. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. In a world like today, it's a rare occasion to be able to see young mothers like the ones that were around when I grew up. But they live on in memory to quite a few of us. And this song is dedicated to those who cherish that memory. Early one Sunday morning, breakfast was on the table there was no time to eat she said to me boy hurry to Sunday school filled with a lot of glory we learned the holy 
bailar, cuando yo quiero salir a bailar, siempre me protege el lengua, yo llamo a mi lengua buquenque, y él me responde a buquenque, viene que viene mi lengua, con su sabor en su aparato.